Imagine you're 16 years old looking to make a little extra cash and your neighbor offers you 80 bucks to work in his yard all day long. You do the quick math in your head, that's $10 an hour, it's pretty good money and you're all in. About halfway through the day, around noon, he asks your 12-year-old sister to come out and help. So she finishes off her chicken nuggets at lunch and comes out to work. And then late in the day, about 4.30 or 5 o'clock, he asks your 7-year-old kid brother to come help for the final hour. He's not much help. You've done most of the heavy lifting. And when you get ready to walk back across the yard to your house, your neighbor gets his wallet out. Your kid brother opens up his hands, and to your surprise, he puts in his hand four $20 bills. What the heck? He hardly did anything. At least your sister worked half the day. But you think, hey, no problem. I'll probably make over $100 then. He probably noticed how hard all the work was. And it's your sister's turn and she puts out her hand. And there it is, four $20 bills. Double what the heck, you think? I mean, what, what's going on here? But hey, the guy's in a giving mood. He drives a nice car. If I make at least 100 bucks, I'll be happy. And you open up your hand, and there it is, four $20 bills. 80 bucks, just like you were promised. And the look on your face is incredulous. And your neighbor can tell that you're kind of perturbed, but then he asks you a profound question. Are you envious because I am generous? Jesus told a similar story, except his wasn't in a backyard, it was in a vineyard. And there weren't just three shifts of workers, there were five. Early in the morning, 9 a.m., noon, three in the afternoon, and five o'clock with only one hour to work. And the results were the same. And the reactions to the workers were the same. And that question was the same. Are you envious because I am generous? You know, working in a vineyard wasn't easy work. There was lots of walking up and down and in between the vines. You were on your feet all day. It was tedious, hard work. Vineyard work was tough work. And you can imagine to the workers who worked eight hours getting paid the same thing as those who only worked one hour. That seemed so unfair. But would you rather have a God who is fair or a God who is generous? We all want things to be fair. We all want things to be fair. Uh, we want, uh, it's tax season, right? We want the rich to pay their fair share. We want uh, referees to officiate games fairly. We want students, come on college, high school, middle school students, we want teachers to grade papers fairly, right? Uh, we just want things to be fair. We, we, want, uh, we want fair wages. We want the benefits that work between us and our coworkers to be fair. And that's because we all have a common belief about fairness. We all share this. And that is, we all believe that fair would be good for us. Come on, you've said it. You know... We'd have won the game if those officials had been fair. It was the referee's fault. I would have made an A on the paper if the teacher had graded things fair. 
I, I would have got the job if everything there in the process, the interview process, would have been fair. We all believe that fair would be good for us. This is just a common belief. It never crosses our minds at the possibility that fair might be bad for us. It, it never crosses our minds that, that, that it, it never crosses our minds that if things were fair, we might get what we deserve. So let me ask you that question. Would you rather have a God who is generous or fair? Would you rather have a God who's a generous God? Or do you really, really, really want things to be fair? Jesus kind of turned upside down and corrected uh, the mindsets of the people in his time about how they saw God and how they understood God. And most of it is around this idea of fairness. In their world, th their whole world was shaped by status and class. That's the way things worked in the kingdom of Israel. It's the way things worked in the Roman kingdom. But Matthew said over and over again in his gospel that we're studying in this series, and, and if you're just brand new, I hope you'll catch up with it over the last few weeks. You can go and watch them online because this whole series is about Matthew, and if you'll go back and watch a, a message or two, you're going to hear this phrase. Matthew says that Jesus came to introduce a brand new kingdom to the world, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus didn't just teach about this kingdom. He lived it, and things were different in this kingdom. Today we're going to look about a parable that's another parable in a series of parables through, all throughout Matthew where he teaches about this kingdom. But Jesus also lived it. If you got your Bibles or you got your app and you want to open it up, if you're watching at home, thanks for welcoming us into your, your living rooms or to your uh, vacation. Maybe you're driving back from spring break. If you got your Bibles open there, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 20. But you kind of got to know a little bit of how Jesus was living out this kingdom of heaven in the stories right before it. In Matthew 19 are these, these incredible stories about this upside-down kingdom that Jesus was introducing. There's a story about children who have no status and no, um, you know, <laughs> they can't do anything. They're just unruly. They're children, and Jesus says, no, 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 bring the kids to me. In my kingdom, they have status. With me, they matter. And then it's followed up by a story about a rich man who is a rule follower, who is following all the rules of Moses, and he wants to inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the question he asked Jesus, and Jesus says, well, maybe you should consider selling all you have and giving it to the poor. And the rich man walks away unsure if he can do such a thing. And so you've got this upside-down world, and the disciples at the end of this kind of these two interchanges or these two exchanges are totally confused because they're like, what kind of world is this where children who don't follow any rules, and if you have ever had children, you know this, welcome to the twos and threes, toddlerhood, don't follow any rules, they're acceptable, they're invited, 
But this rich man who has status and class, and he follows all the rules of Moses, he's not acceptable. What kind of world is this? So Jesus, at the, after, after those two exchanges in Matthew 19, he shares a story with them just to show them how upside down things are and how generous God is in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to start in Matthew 20, verse 1, and it says, it says this, for the kingdom of heaven, so there it is, there's like, there's again, and if you read Matthew over and over again, you're going to see this phrase, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, what is early in the morning? Six o'clock. That's pretty good. Six, seven o'clock, right? I mean... Nobody starts work before 6 o'clock. God's not even awake yet, right? That's as early as it can get. So 6 o'clock, you figure. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So take note of kind of the time of day. So they've, you know, very early in the morning, 6, 7 o'clock, something like that we can all agree to. And this wage, a denarius, that was a Roman coin which was a pretty standard pay for a day's work of day laborers. So everyone listening to the story in Jesus' time would have said, yeah, that's about right. This story is making total sense. It is a story. It's a parable. But they're all going, okay, that's about right. So take note of that. Remember that as we continue into the story. Listen to what the next few verses say. About nine in the morning, so two, three hours after, these first workers are already working. He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace and doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you, oh, I love this, whatever is right. Who gets to decide what's right? I mean, after all, what's, say it, fair. <laughs> what's fair? Fair. Jesus says, whatever is right. So they went, these workers at nine in the morning. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. So he went and found others. So you can kind of consider the scene here, okay? This is a little bit like um, pick up basketball at recess, okay? This is a little bit like pick up basketball at recess. Are you going to pick the six-foot kid or the five-foot kid? You're taking the six-foot kid, right? I want to take the, I want the big kid on my team, right? So you all, we've all experienced that where, you know, they're going to pick the tallest kid, the biggest kid. That's kind of like this. These are, uh, that was kind of the system. These are day laborers. So they're hanging out where landowners, business owners come to look for day laborers to come help in their shop. Maybe they're a blacksmith, silversmith, or to come help in their field if they're a landowner, a farmer, uh, whatever they are. They're coming to find day laborers. Now, which ones do you pick first? Like the, the ones that look like they can do some work, right? And this isn't the only landowner coming. So other landowners have come and picked. So Jesus tells this story. I mean, everyone knew the system. So this is getting ridiculous, kind of, because it tells that the landowner has come at 9 and at noon and at 3, and at 3 o'clock there are still some stragglers there who have not been picked. 
So not only were they not picked by this landowner, the first three times he came, they weren't picked by any other of the landowners. They don't look like they're going to be able to work really hard. And then in the next verse, the story gets even more ridiculous. About five in the afternoon. Now, what time do you stop yard work? Five in the afternoon. <laughs> six, six on a good day, right? Six on a good day. But, I mean, you, at some point, you just got to come in. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around whom no one had hired all day long. Not only this landowner, but none of the other landowners. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And their response is, do we look like we work hard to you? Something like that. They say, because no one has hired us. You know, we don't have the broad shoulders. We don't have tools. Maybe they didn't have tools. Like, we don't, you know, nobody thought we were worthy. Nobody wanted us. And he said to them, well, you come on too. You also go and work in my vineyard. All day long, no one had hired these folks. All day long, they were unwanted and unworthy and undesirable and undeserving. And Jesus said that this is a story describing that what is like? The kingdom of heaven. And the message is loud and clear. The unwanted and unworthy are invited to the kingdom of heaven. The unwanted and the unworthy, the ones who look like they can't put in a hard day's work, the unwanted are welcome in the kingdom of heaven. And I think this is why Matthew was inspired to write this in his gospel. No one sitting there listening felt more unwanted and unworthy than Matthew. Many of his brothers who were disciples, who had become brothers in the faith, had been law-abiding Jews. They had grown up memorizing the Hebrew scriptures. They had spent their life going to synagogue. You had picked them first in Bible trivia. But not Matthew. He probably couldn't tell you Jonah from Noah, from Moses, from Abraham. He turned his back on his heritage, turned his back on his fate to be a tax collector. He'd done his own thing instead of following God, chasing independence and wealth. He was unwanted and unworthy to all the rest of the Jews, except to the one they called the king of the Jews, who walked up one day to this tax collector who had turned his back on his heritage and faith. And he said, Matthew, why don't you follow me? And everything changed. Because suddenly, Matthew belonged. Oh man, this parable, it hit home for Matthew. It was his story. A little late to the party, a little unwanted, and a little unworthy, who now belonged. Maybe that's your story. 
Maybe you feel like your past or your mistakes or the family you came from is just too much and you're just so unworthy because of what happened back then, because of who you were back then. And maybe some even pastor and youth pastor has even told you you were unworthy. And maybe you have carried your past and your sin around like a scarlet letter. And you have had Christians and the church and people who said they loved God shun you and told you that you don't belong and you are unworthy. And I want you to know that the unwanted and the unworthy are invited to the kingdom of heaven. It's never too late. It's never too late. Listen to the next verse. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, and you kind of already know how this is going, right, because of the video, call the workers and pay them their wages. Let the last ones hired, uh, with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon who worked one hour came and each received a denarius. Okay, does anybody remember what was promised to the guys hired very early in the morning? A denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Why? Because that would only be fair. Y'all are good. Y'all are good. It would only be fair. I mean, they worked harder. They were more able-bodied. They had put in more hours, right? Only be fair. And they believed, like we do, fair would be good for us. Oh, man, if this landowner is fair, fair is going to be good to us, right? If you compare us with them, we're going to be okay, and we can always seem to find a them who doesn't quite measure up with us. Have you noticed that? And holy smokes, there's a lot of them and us going on in the church world today. There's a whole lot of them and us. My church versus their church and my group versus their group and my denomination versus their denomination and my this and my that and us and them. And isn't it funny that we always, we always judge them by their worst mistakes and us by our best moments. We can always, we, we are unbelievable at finding and convincing ourselves that the us, the we, deserve more. And Jesus goes on to finish, to tell the story. He says, but each one of them also received a denarius. What did he promise them? A denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They start complaining. Why'd they get that? That's not fair. They didn't do nothing. And nothing is a highly theological term, if you didn't know. They didn't do nothing compared to us. Keep in mind the very first audience that would have read this, read this text would have been Matthew's church. After Jesus ascended to heaven, Matthew wrote this first and foremost for his church, which was a very Jewish church. Very Jewish church. 
struggling with and wrestling with this idea that they were trying to figure out how to welcome Gentiles, non-Jews, who had done nothing for God and knew nothing about God. Wait a second. You want us to serve for people who has never served? You want us to give money for people who have never given anything? You want us to listen to their music instead of playing our music? Pastor Matthew, have you read my email? Started grumbling. This hit home for Matthew's church. This was written for them. Boy, it's easy to start grumbling when we think things aren't fair. And their self-righteousness gets even more pronounced in the next verse. Whew. Those who were hired, hired last worked only one hour. That's their complaint. And listen to this. They said... <clears throat> And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. That is literally their argument. Their grumble, their complaint is that you have made them equal to us. We don't want them to be equal to us. At least they're honest. We don't want them to be equal to us. We deserve more. Do you know how long I've been a member of this church? Do you know how much money my grandma gave to this church? Boy, it's easy to start getting that attitude, right? I had a church member one time that wanted to give money for new chandeliers as long as he got to pick the chandeliers. Because he thought he deserved to. It's, it's easy to start grumbling when we think things ought to be more fair. This is a parable that, Matt, that Jesus is telling about the church, about life and the community of faith in this brand new kingdom. And the longer you're in it, and I have been in it since 1985. I got saved when I was eight years old. It's easy to think we earn this position by the sweat of our brow, but that's not how the kingdom of heaven works. Heaven doesn't work on works. Heaven works on grace and the kindness of God and the generosity of the Father. And listen to how the landowner responds. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? This was an embarrassing moment, right? Yeah. Didn't you agree to work for, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. I want to give. None of this is about what anyone has earned. This is about what I want to give. You weren't invited because of your industriousness. You were invited because I am generous. You weren't invited because you're good. You're invited because I'm good. And then the landowner asked two powerful questions. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? What's the answer to that? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then the piercing one. Or are you envious because I am generous? 
this word for envious in the, in the Greek is poneros is the word. It, it means evil or wicked or, or, um, uh, or envious it's, uh, or bad, annoyed. It's all negative definitions. And I love the King James, the way the King James Version translates this, this in kind of a much more poetic way. It says, is thine eye evil toward me because I am good? Are you giving me the stink eye because I'm good? Does it bother you? Does it bother you that I'm generous? Does it bother you? Had you assumed that I graded on a curve? Oh, you did. Well, that's because you thought I was going to grade you versus Putin, but I was planning to grade you versus Beth Moore and Billy Graham. How do you think you're going to fare? And I've actually graded them against Jesus and they haven't fared so well either. Because the whole point is that none of us measure up. Does it bother you? This is the, this is the kicker, okay? Does it bother you that I will give what I promise to give you, but I might need you to work really hard in my field so that I can give more to those who didn't or can't? Does that bother you? This is an invitation to humility for those in the church, especially if you're like me and you've been around a while and around the church for a while. Would we be grateful for receiving what was promised to us, the blessing of heaven? Is heaven enough or do you want God to give you more? Is heaven enough? And would we realize that it doesn't come with privileges to be invited early? It only comes with expectations. And would we be willing, would we be willing to work in the field our entire lives, our entire lives, so that other people could receive the blessing of heaven too, even if they come to it much later than us? Are you willing to do that, church? Or do you have to get more if you were saved at eight years old? Are you willing? And then Jesus closes out this teaching with a message that he says over and over and over again in the Gospels. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Essentially what Jesus is saying is this, is that grace puts everyone in last place and invites everyone to first place. They were sort of right. Um, God is sort of fair. Everyone is equal. It's just we're all at the bottom. <laughs> we're all at the bottom. We're all at the bottom. We're all unworthy. We're all un unwanted. We're all can't match the perfection and the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus. That's grace. Grace comes with that truth that we are all sinners. But praise God that we are not sinners in the hands of an angry God, but sinners in the hands of a loving God who sent his one and only son to show us what the curve that would look like that we'd be graded against. Perfection, holiness, and gave his life for us so that we could be put in first place forever. Grace puts us all down here and invites us all up here. And it doesn't matter when you've been invited. It only matters if you say yes when you finally are. That's it. That's the promise. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus. It's the only thing that matters. 
And Matthew probably wondered if he was too late to the party. He probably wondered if he deserved a seat at the table with Peter and Andrew and James and John. One of the other disciples named Simon, he was, a, he was called a zealot. Matthew had only been zealous about himself. And maybe you resonate with that. Maybe you've wondered, is it too late for me? Do I deserve a seat? I just, I just want to encourage you with what Jesus is trying to teach us. Grace isn't dependent on time served. It's not because you're good. It's because he's good. Grace leveled the ground. And I might have been at it since 1985, and there are those watching and in this room that have been at it a whole lot longer than us. But we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. And church, would we, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you're watching or if you're here, would we be willing to say, Lord, thank you for gracing my life that I received this invitation at six in the morning in my life. Thank you that I was raised in the church. Thank you that I've walked with you my whole life. Thank you that I've been in the field. Would we church be willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to work and sweat my entire life in this vineyard of yours so that those can be invited at the last hour and experience the same promise of the kingdom of heaven that I get? Would we be willing to do that, church, and just say, I'm in? I'm in. I'm in to work. Use me, spend me for whatever you want. Make some new wine out of me and make me whatever you want to be. Would you rather have a God who is generous or a God who is fair? My daddy used to always say that life isn't fair. Your daddy ever say that? Several times. Mine said it several thousand. And it's not. But I'm so glad God isn't fair either. Because I want you to know something. I want no part of getting what I deserve. I want what this generous father wants to give me and I want you to have what he wants to give you and if you say man I'm I feel so unworthy Carter I feel so undeserving friend that's the whole point is that he offers it anyway Ben's going to closes in a uh, chorus here that talks about what we can do, our response in responding to this grace. And I don't even want to ask you to stand. I just want you to stay there. And if you want to sing with Ben, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. And it just says, I'm, I'll run to the Father. 
And for you, it may feel like, I wish I'd have done this a long time ago. It feels like 5 o'clock in my life. It feels a little late. I'm a little late to the party. That's okay. You're invited. Would you just take this moment to let these words ring in your heart, sing along, if you want.